High Performance Podcast, where we share with you the stories, tips, tricks, and strategies of motocross and off-road racers, health and fitness experts, and everyone in between who has an inspiring story to share. This episode of the podcast, we've got Daryl Griffiths back on from Shots Nutrition. He was actually our first ever podcast guest. Today, we got him back on to do a follow-up Q&A. We had a ton of questions from listeners, from some of my clients, from myself also, after that first podcast that Daryl was kind enough to come back on and go through those questions. So we talk about fueling for junior athletes, what to fuel yourself with on race day when it comes to supplements and also bridging your calorie deficit and energy expenditure at the track when we're racing, caffeine in training and racing, how it affects the body, should you, shouldn't you use it, why perhaps a low carb or keto diet, which is all the craze these days, is perhaps not the best the best nutritional approach for high intensity athletes like motocross and off-road athletes. And we also touch on what the future holds for shots coming up in the next 12 months, which is really exciting too. So as Daryl said at the end of this podcast, he's more than happy to keep doing these. So if you've got any more questions about hydration, nutrition, what you should be fueling yourself with when it comes to racing and training, etc., hit us up. We're more than happy to um, get Daryl back on and do another follow-up podcast so you guys can keep learning Um, awesome information so if you haven't already please jump over check out our website 100percentstrength.com we can get all the podcast episodes there now too online you can check out our blog which is going to be getting updated this week with a couple of new blogs and we've also got some new information there about our online training options and what that entails so if you haven't already jump over there check it out 100percentstrength.com We'll get straight into this episode with Daryl from Shots right now. All right, today we've got Daryl Griffiths from Shots Nutrition back on the podcast. He was our first ever podcast guest, actually. So we got um, got him back on today for a bit of a Q&A, a bit of a follow-up. How's it going today, Daryl? Yeah, good, mate. Thanks for having me back. That's okay. Thanks for coming on. How did you spend the Christmas break, mate? Uh, we've moved down to Hobart. We're in West Hobart now. So I spent a lot of time on my new MTB bike, um, riding the trails here and, uh, yeah, very nice. Yeah. Been riding the last couple of months and still haven't got anywhere near riding all of them. So looking forward to exploring down here. Yeah. It's a pretty nice place. My wife's family's from Tassie. So we spend a little bit of time down there. Yeah, the uh, the mountain biking scene down here now has just it's gone off. It's uh, yeah. So I'm I'm looking forward to having some of the riders come down and and uh, spend some time and and do some training down here. It's a it's a damn good place to train. Yeah, I'll bet. So what is that? What you sort of do to keep yourself? I guess do you do any competing? Anything competitive, or you just casual mountain biking? Or yeah, I mean I, I used to compete. Um, but now it's just purely for the enjoyment. Just I yeah. just like I just like going out and just like exercising. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It's a pretty good way to do it on the mountain bike, I reckon. Yeah, it is. And there's no flat sections here. It's up or it's down. So uh, 
Yeah. You, you get fit pretty quick down here. Yeah, well, absolutely. All right, we'll get stuck into a few of these questions. I've got a few, I guess, that popped into my head after our first podcast. Um, also got a few from some of my clients, some of my followers. So I'll get through those first and I guess some of them sort of segue into the questions that I had anyway so we can weave them in as we go. Cool. So first one I had from um, Blake, one of the guys who follows me on Instagram. He's a young guy. He was just asked what you recommend in terms of um, hydration, nutrition for juniors. So he's like 13, 14-year-old. Is there okay. anything you kind of advise there that would, I suppose, be different to perhaps an adult in those situations? Yeah, well, generally, um, with the thermoregulation system, which helps to keep a safe core temperature, it hasn't really matured um, until, well, it, everyone's different, but up until you're about 16, 17, 18. Yeah. Um, right. So you'll notice that um, you know, younger crew don't sweat as much. Um, but then as they start to get more mature and, uh, I guess the length of time they start to ride and the intensity they start to ride, um, then their, uh, thermoregulation system develops and they start to, uh, to sweat more. And then that obviously allows them to keep a safer core temperature and that sort of thing. Um, but the, the most important thing I think for the younger riders, obviously because they're the length of time they're racing for is not as long. Um, the most important thing is making sure that they start, you know, well hydrated, um, but importantly, well fueled as well. So what I've got all the senior guys doing now is making sure that whether it's a, a prologue, whether it's just a short uh, race or whatever it might be, that they, that they take an energy gel 10 minutes before the start of every race. Yeah. Now, not just for muscle function, but really important that there's a good amount of circulating blood glucose for the brain to access. Yeah. Particularly when you have to make all those decisions really quickly. So that's the biggest advice I think for the younger guys is just to start and girls is to start thinking about, right, my bike's fueled, but am I fueled? So that's the, that's a good way to think about it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Next one was from an off-road guy. He's, his question was, what he should consume to stop cramping before long enduros? Okay. So, so if, if you do experience cramping, what I've, what I've um, researched over the time is... Sorry, mate. That's okay. <laughs> Technology. Sorry, People calling me. Um, <laughs> What, 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 I've, uh, what I've recognized over the time is that if, if you're more likely to cramp, you have a higher sweat rate. So the volume of sweat that you lose is higher. But importantly, um, the concentration of sodium that you lose in your sweat is higher. Yeah. So my advice would be, firstly, when, when, you, go, when, when you go out training, what you want to get an idea of is how much sweat you're actually losing. Now, I know it's hard to mimic race day, but if you can find a nice one-hour circuit where you can get close to race pace um, and do your pre- and post-weighing, so you weigh yourself before and then weigh yourself after the hour, and you've got to get an idea of how much sweat you lose in that time. Um, That'll give you an indication of, or okay, um, let's say, for instance, 
you lose one litre. Now, you, you, you're going by what your stomach can tolerate. So you're never going to drink an amount that you lose. You'll always lose more than your stomach's able to process. So if you're losing a litre an hour, you would probably aim for around five or 600 mils an hour. Now, your sweat rate or the amount of sweat you lose is going to be dictated by intensity or how hard you're going on the bike, yep. but also obviously the environmental conditions. So if it's cold, then you know, you're likely not going to be sweating much. You don't need to drink as much. But then in the warmer months where you notice that um, you, know, you get off the bike and you're just drenched. So that's where it's a, you know, having a good understanding of how much you're losing so then you can um, address your losses. Um, yes. And my advice, if this guy is experiencing some cramping, that he needs to add some more sodium to his, uh, to his fluid because sodium has the biggest impact on muscle function. And if we lose too much, then for whatever reason, that mechanism is that the stomach, the, sorry, the, the uh, brain sends a message that it's not getting what it requires and it just cramps us up to, to try and slow us down. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Do you think it can sometimes, like, like I think you're definitely absolutely right with the sodium for sure. Um, do you think it sometimes can have a bit to do with perhaps maybe not training enough correctly, conditioning the body, and we're just asking it to do something that it's perhaps never done before? Um, it, it's got something to do with conditioning, but... Um, if, if you've already started the race with some deficiencies, like if you haven't, yeah. you know, focused on your hydration leading up to that race, um, and especially if you get cramping early, it means you've already, you started the race with some deficiencies. Um, yeah, yeah. So it, it sometimes can be conditioning, but um, what I've, what I've recognized in, in my, um, uh, in my research is that regardless of how fit you are, you lose similar amounts, but the fitter you are, you can tolerate those deficiencies better. Yeah. So it, it's, it is some conditioning, but once, once you are conditioned, like it, there's, there's the most fittest athletes in the world still cramping. Mm. But the reason they're cramping is that they're not, they're not replacing what they're losing in their training and that accumulative loss adds up. And then they get to race day when they really need to ask the body for, you know, that extra percentage. And um, it's just not there because um, everything that you need to function properly, um, you, you, when you've started with a deficiency, it just, it, it, it's going to show up a lot earlier in, in those race conditions where you're pushing yourself that much harder. Yeah, you're constantly sort of depleting them. Yeah, that's right. And yeah. Um, comes back to being on top of that your nutrition and hydration of a daily basis exactly and, and particularly this time of year when it's been hot yeah um you know the, the most important thing for recovery is as soon as you finish a day on or you know half a day on the bike or however long you spend on the bike training the most important thing is rehydration mm. it's making sure that okay well i've recognized i've sweat a lot now if, if you do your pre and post weighing you can get a pretty good idea of what you then need to replace over the um, ensuing hours yeah, uh, yeah. to make sure that next time you throw your leg over the bike, that you're not starting with any deficiencies. Yeah, absolutely. And that, I think, I think we mentioned in the first podcast, but even if you're eating a sort of a cleaner diet that adding some sodium to your food, to your foods 
during the week, during your day-to-day nutrition is super important too, right? Yeah, particularly over the summer, over the warmer months. Um, yeah, when you're sweating a lot. Yeah, adding your salt to food, it, it, you know, particularly if you do eat clean. Um, yeah, that, that's something that I recommend every single athlete that I work with is start to increase the amount of salt they put on their food. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we mentioned last time that salt gets a bad rap in the media. Yeah, yeah. That's a bad rap. It gets a bad rap to 65% of the population who are overweight, eat a lot of processed foods, and they're not racing around on a motorbike most of the day. So, um, exactly. yeah, it, you just got to recognize what demographic you fit into. Um, and if you're losing a lot of sodium, um, you need to replace it. And I, I just to reiterate how important sodium is, if if the sodium concentration of our blood of our blood drops too low, it's life threatening. So yeah, it's, that's how important sodium is to how we function. Now, obviously, that's the extreme, but what we're talking about here, we're talking about performance. So, how much? If if you lose too much that it can kill you, then take it back a few steps. How much do we need to lose for it to affect brain and muscle function? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's the thing. So if you're starting with some deficiencies because you haven't addressed them that well in training and then you go into a race asking your body to actually, you know, even go quicker than you do in training, then, um, you know, these these issues with, you know, um, mental function and and muscle function are going to be impacted by that. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Um, so the next one, the very, very broad ranging question, this one, but, yeah. uh, Trent, what and how much should he be eating on race days? So I thought could maybe perhaps touch on how, particularly on race days, but even, even long, like large training days, how your, I guess, energy expenditure goes up. So um, I guess addressing that with the vault, I guess the extra volume of food you need to take in, in those instances. Yeah. Well, the, the best thing is to grab as much data than you, as you can. And so what, what we do with a lot of the senior guys, Chucky and all these guys is that every session they wear a heart rate monitor with the heart rate strap. And that way it shows us um, their, uh, their range in heart rates and max heart rates and all that sort of stuff, but most importantly, average heart rate for um, how long they're, uh, for the duration of that session. Yeah. And, and from that, it's, it's, it uses algorithms to give you an idea of your calorie expenditure. And a calorie is just a unit of energy. So if you ride for two hours and your heart rate is, you know, averages 160, 165, you'll see a number there that it'll show, you know, your calorie expenditure for that two hours was probably, probably would be around 1,800 calories for those two hours. For sure, yeah. Yeah, so you know that your calorie expenditure is around eight to 900 calories an hour. Now, if if this um, is Trent, wasn't it? Yep, that's right, yeah. If Trent's doing a, a three or four hour event and he's averaging that sort of heart rate zone, then he knows that, he's burning say 800 calories an hour or 800 units of energy. Now over four hours, that's 3,200 calories. Yeah. 
obviously at some point that calorie expenditure is going to impact on brain and muscle function. So what he needs to um, firstly have an understanding of, right, this is how many calories or units of energy I'm expending each hour, but we're governed by what our stomach can tolerate. The same with fluid. We can only, we can only consume a certain amount of calories per hour. Yeah. So you would aim for, you know, once it's not even, it's, it's difficult to even consume 50% of your calories every hour. We just, we just burn it up so quick that the process to replace it just isn't anywhere near as fast. Yeah. So, um, my recommendation, um, and it's different logistically difficult for motocross because you're stopping at different times and when you can access gels and all that sort of stuff. But if you can try and aim for around about 230 to 290 calories an hour, then you're doing pretty well. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really firstly Trent finding out what his calorie expenditure is. And that's by using a heart rate monitor out in training, trying to mimic race day. Yeah. Um, and then working back from that say, okay, well, this is what I'm losing. How, how many, how many calories can my stomach comfortably tolerate per hour? Um, to not replace all that I'm losing because you're not going to be able to, but replace enough to keep the brain functioning properly because that is the single most important thing for this sport is making sure you're not making any, not making any mistakes at all. Um, but secondly, making sure that you spare that um, stored glycogen in the muscles which you're using at high intensity. If you can spare some of that, um, by consuming carbohydrate during, it allows you to, to actually perform at a higher intensity for a longer period of time. So, um, yeah, that's, that's the best advice is find out how much you're losing using heart rate and then um, sort of aim for that 230 to 290 calories an hour um, during. Yeah, yeah. So what do you think, like, obviously in those situations, if, if someone's, if they do do three hours worth and they yeah. burn in, say, two and a half, 3,000 calories maybe, that's obviously, like, over, overall for their nutrition for the day, including what, what the, the meals they're eating, like, that's on top of their basic metabolic rate, right? So Correct. Yeah. So that, if you take that into consideration, that's a shitload. Yeah. <laughs> that's a lot of food. So how important do you think it is that when, if we like taking into consideration the rest of our nutrition over the course of the day that we try and bridge that gap um, calorie wise? Yeah. Well, it's when it comes to recovery, performance, etc. Yeah. I think that's then highlights how important your recovery weeks are. So yeah. If you, if you put a three or four week training block together um, and you're burning that five or 6,000 calories a day, which you know, a lot of athletes do, yeah. it, it, there's going to be some point where you, you just can't eat that much. It, it just becomes um, you know, too much of a challenge for the stomach to be able to tolerate that much food, particularly when you're training so much as well. So you, that, this is why when I talk about um, recovery weeks that they take those recovery weeks just as importantly as they do that three or four week block that they've done. Yeah. So it gives you a chance to catch up on those losses that, that built up over that three or four week block. 
um, and then it allows you to then um, uh, replace those those losses in that week and then be ready to start that next three or four week block. Yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, it, it, it's it's um, it's it's challenging to uh, to replace all that you're losing, but you 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 know you you try, and that's why you you see athletes eating a hell of a lot more than what most people do. Um, yeah, for sure. Not, weight, not put weight on because they're losing so many calories in their in their training. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing I guess I've seen it with a few of my clients, quite a few, that they don't actually realise how much energy they are burning. So they're they're probably eating the amount of food a normal person would eat. So the gap is massive. Yeah. So, yeah, I I just thought I'd get your point of view on that because it's, um, I know, like I'm sure you would have seen this, like if you're in a huge deficit for consistently, Sort of, I guess, unaware of it, it can actually have detrimental effects on your immune system, things like that, as well, can't it? Exactly. That's exactly what I was going to say when you. Uh, I was just about to say, well, what it does is it compromises your immune system. Yeah. But also, you know, just small muscle tears, just all those little niggly things that you get. Um, you know, that's just a. It just manifests itself if you're just under fueling all the time. Um, yeah. But I, I'm, I don't mean just shoveling crap in, um, yeah, uh, which, 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 which sadly a lot do because they, you know, it's that quick fix. Yeah. Um, being mindful to <clears throat> to be organised and prepared, and have real food, not not just stuff that's easy to access. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a challenge, but you know, the cleaner you can eat, um, you, know, like you use this analogy, and I love working with motorsports because. You know, you put shit fuel in a bike, you, you're not going to get results. You, you just Your bike's not going to perform well. It's the same with the body. You put shit fuel in, the body's going to respond ne- um, negatively. So, Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It is, like you say, it is, I think, it's, it is a lot of work, but, but when you, I guess you want to form at that level, it's a commitment that you really need to take on, I think, because it does make such a huge difference. Oh, massively! Like that—that that was the thing with Chucky. That was the turnaround with with uh, Chucky. Was that we really cleaned up his diet? And, yeah. Uh, he was, you know, um, inconsistent in his in his um, results. Like he'd do really well and then not so well, and really well and not so well. And so when I got a hold of him and and we said, "Look, this is these are the things you need to be mindful of. You just need to get rid of all the crap food. Yeah. Eat weight, Eat clean." Um, and the difference in, you know, in his results from, from doing that w- was massive. Um, but it's not easy. It's, it's, it's really isn't easy to do. Um, no, especially when you're traveling stuff it comes back yeah. to that being prepared. That's right. So yeah, you just got to be a bit more organized and with the understanding that, um, you know, the, the, uh, yeah, that this, an analogy every time, like if you put shit fuel in your bike, it's just yeah. not going to run well and the body's yeah, the same. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so another question, it's, I guess, similar to the nutrition, but more on the hydration side. So in, in lead up to an event, to, a, a, I guess, like a, whether it's a long off-road event or perhaps, 
think um, guy who asked this question is actually a mountain bike event. So what can we do in the lead up hydration wise? Um, should we be trying to load up um, on hydration and salts in the lead up before an event, especially if we know it's going to be hot? Yeah, well, that's the thing. If it is going to be hot, um, you, you can't you can't really load up. You can't drink an amount or increase the amount of, of sodium than what your body can actually um, <clears throat> tolerate. Or there's a balance of <clears throat> blood of of fluid. There's a balance of sodium that is unique to you. Yeah. So um, I think the biggest problem with athletes going into a hot race and, and, and even at the high level is that they, they try to load up too much um, and a lot drink just plain water, lots and yeah. lots of plain water, thinking that, okay, well, it's going to be hot and I want to, I want to make sure that I'm hydrated and all that sort of thing. But drinking lots of plain water can actually dilute the sodium concentration of your blood. Yes. Yeah. And you've already then started that race or you're starting that race with some deficiencies. Mm. So my, my advice is that if, if you're racing and it is going to be a hot day, then just drink an, you know, a normal amount. What does that mean? Um, you know, drink 500 mil to maybe a litre um, in the couple of hours before. Um, you don't have to be too fastidious about drinking heaps in the two days before, because if it's a big race, you're not doing that much anyway. So yeah, yeah. You'll be you're your, yeah, you're likely got your feet up and you're taking it easy and making sure that um, you're fueling those muscles up with the glycogen and you're resting so that, you know, you can really smash it out on race day. Um, so in that case, you would just drink a normal amount that you would during the day. You don't need to increase it. Um, because you're just going to weed it out anyway. Um, so I think in the couple of hours before um, that 500 to a liter an hour, just making sure that you've topped up, but making sure it's not plain water that you've got sodium in there as well. Yeah. Without that sodium, the water is not going to make it into the cell. So, and if the cell's not hydrated, then you're not hydrated. So that's why every time you drink, um, when you've been sweating, you need to have that sodium present to move that water into the cell. Yeah, for sure. So on that, is this, like, is the colour of the urine enough to go off that yeah. you're hydrated? Because um, this is one one of one of my clients, actually. He's a tradie. Yep. So that, that heat wave we've just sort of been through, he was working in that 45-degree heat, yep. drinking 12 to 15 litres of water. Yep. With adding electrolytes, um, and he reckons the colour of his urine was still like yellow, like really dehydrated. The colour of his yeah, the, the, uh, those colour charts. Uh, I, don't, I personally don't think they're a good indicator at all. Um, yeah, <clears throat> you can drink copious amounts of water, mm. um, and you when you say electrolyte, if it was just a commercial electrolyte. There's not much, very much sodium in them anyway. So yeah, right. um, the, the, the other thing is that you can have clear urine, 
but still be dehydrated because you've stripped all the sodium of your uh, of the blood. So, yeah, yeah, it's. I guess it's it's good in some ways, but it's not always giving you the right message. Yeah, it's not accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, one of my I've actually I'm actually working with a client now who's a um, V8 supercar driver. Yep. So he had a question. They actually use cooling suits. Like mm. Obviously, when he's in the car, they use a cooling suit. Yep. Obviously, it's super hot in there. Um, he had a question. Is there a benefit to using that cooling suit pre-race or perhaps even doing an ice bath to try and get his core temperature or body temperature down a bit before he hops in the car for a period of time? Yeah, well, the, the thing is, like he would, this guy would have recognised um, with different motors... They'll prefer different temperatures and they'll function differently at, at, at certain <clears throat> certain temperatures. The yep. human body is exactly the same. There's some who pref- who can naturally perform better at a higher core temperature, and others that don't. So the thing is with with any type of sport, your core your core temperature needs to be elevated anyway for the muscles to be warm enough to fire to function properly. Um, yeah. The thing with a cool suit is, yeah, it's great that, you know, you can um, help to keep that uh, core temperature down, but it just depends on how well it's doing that, that you don't rely exclusively on that core suit, that you're still, you know, hydrating as well. Um, so any V8 supercar drivers that I've worked with, um, we, we've always done that pre and post weighing. Just yeah. even with a cool suit, because it can get up to 65 degrees in those cabins. Yeah, for so sure. Making sure that you have an understanding of, right, cabin temperature, outside temperature, um, you know, 20 minute stint, 40 minute stint, whatever it might be, that you have an understanding of how much sweat you're actually still losing. Um, you know, a lot of people put these cool suits on thinking that, okay, well, you know, I don't need to drink because, you know, I don't feel I need I'm sweating as much but yeah um, even with a cool suit you can lose a lot of sweat in those uh, in those cabins um, oh yeah I bet <laughs> the, the thing is with ice bars I personally um, the, the problem I have with them is once again um, you feel good when you've jumped in one especially when you're really hot yeah but it hasn't addressed the reasons why you feel like crap in the first place is that when you've sweated, you have, you've lost blood volume. So jumping in an ice bath isn't going to address your blood volume loss. Yeah. Jumping in an ice bath isn't going to replace all the sodium that you've lost. So um, the other thing too is if it's, if you're fully submerged, what happens is the brain instinctively sends a message to all the internal organs that because um, when you when you dive into something cold, um, our our um, instinct or the brain's instinct is to shuttle all the blood to the internal organs to keep them warm. Yeah, for sure. So which which requires massive amounts of energy. Yeah. So if if a V8 car driver or you know Fink Desert Race or whatever it is. Um, and the guys go, oh, well, should I do a, an ice bath between stints or should I do an ice bath at the end? My, my um, 
answer generally is, well, no, <clears throat> no, because you've just expended a huge amount of energy. You don't want to expend more energy by trying to keep the internal organs safe because that's a, you know, just a human instinct that, uh, to, to yeah, um, it's a survival mechanism, I suppose, isn't it? Survival mechanism, perfect word for it. So, um, I my advice is just you know get some cold towels, but most importantly, have your your fluid with your sodium in there, but have it chilled, because a chilled yes. beverage will bring your core temperature down so much faster than an ice bath will. Yeah, and you're addressing that blood volume loss, and yeah. you're addressing that sodium that you've lost. Yeah, for sure. So a chilled beverage will will work infinitely better than an ice bath. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, awesome. Um, what's your thoughts on caffeine, either pre-race or during? My recommendation is is avoid caffeine at the start. Yep. Um, caffeine, it's it's a stimulant. All, it doesn't actually give you any energy. What it does is alter the perception of how you feel. Mm. So those times where you're in a race and you're just thinking, oh, man, <clears throat> I feel like crap. That's the best time to start taking caffeine. Yeah. What the caffeine does is alter that perception of how you feel and it helps to numb those negative thoughts and negative voices you get in your head. But interestingly, not everyone will get that same... Uh, that same feeling it's I did a lot of research with caffeine and some athletes, they don't have any response to it at all. It does nothing to them. Even if we give them big doses. Yeah. Um, then there's another group who would have a mild response like, Oh yeah, yeah, that's, that feels good. It's not too bad. But then there's other athletes who will take it and then turn into rockets. Like they just get a really good boost from it. Um, so it's, it, it's really a very individual thing. Um, but the best, the best thing is to have an understanding of, um, particularly for an endurance event is you don't want to take it too early because yeah. if you have an effect, if it does have an effect on you, you don't want to be racing based on a perceived, per, per, uh, sorry, perceived perception of how you feel. You want to be racing that first couple of hours based on how you actually feel. Because if you're all jacked up <clears throat> and just going at it, then those last two hours of that race are going to be a struggle because you've used all your bickies up early. Yeah. So it's about measuring your effort. And if you don't measure it properly by being um, stimulated by caffeine, then the back end of that race is likely to be not so flash. Yeah, struggle. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think even for guys, I know like guys that perhaps struggle, get a bit anxious at the start of races or can't sort of calm themselves. And I think caffeine is definitely a bad idea in those situations too. Yeah. If, it, if it's a 10-minute prologue or something like that, yeah, and, and you're really feeling a bit lethargic and not into it, then, you know, you can take you know some caffeine or something just to sort of pick you up for that uh for that really short stint yeah yeah mm. yeah i'm keen to hear your thoughts on this one i've had a few people ask me this um about why the keto or low carb 
is not optimal for someone who's a obviously an off-road or a motocross athlete. Obviously, we're working in that predominantly glycolytic energy system. So can you yeah, sort of give us a, a bit of knowledge around why a really low-carb diet is not optimal in those situations? Yeah, well, this keto was brought in for people who are obese. Yeah. To help with losing weight. But the, the and, and I'm not a fan of keto and I never will be because um, for a number of reasons. Um, but firstly, you need to understand of why it was brought in. And it was brought in to, for people who were <clears throat> extremely overweight. Um, and it wasn't so much, I, I think, whoever came up with it first sort of didn't have an understanding of um, where actual carbohydrate came from because um, the, the diet is, it just, it just doesn't make any sense from a basic human physiology perspective. Um, so the thing with an athlete is that um, we require a lot of oxygen, obviously to, to perform. And the muscles require that oxygen to function properly. The brain is 100% reliant on oxygen to function. Yeah, yeah. So when, when we're talking about fuel and when we're talking about energy expenditure and all that sort of thing, um, at that higher intensity, which motocross is and enduro and any type of motorsports, when we have that elevated heart rate, um, we have a, you know, obviously a very high need for oxygen. Now, when you're, um, when you're burning that fuel, you require that oxygen to burn it. Now, fat in its chemical structure doesn't have any oxygen in it at all. So you're having to borrow all this oxygen to actually burn it, and that's why it doesn't burn at a fast rate. You can, it's, it's okay if you're you know, chuffing along at 100 and 110 uh, heart rate. Yeah, uh, yeah. But as you start to increase intensity and that, that, um, that need for oxygen is obviously greater, carbohydrate or glucose actually has uh, oxygen in its chemical structure. So 53% of carbohydrate is oxygen. It's carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, and 53% of that is ox oxygen. So you're not requiring as much oxygen to burn it, nor are you expending as much oxygen to burn it. That's why it's the optimum fuel when you're, um, when you're competing. Um, the thing with keto is it actually changes your blood chemistry. And ketosis is something that you'd need to be very careful of because as a type one diabetic, um, and, and I've worked with a lot over the years, they spend their whole life trying to avoid ketoacidosis. Yeah. What that is, is when the ketones in the blood um, in, uh, build up, it's actually life-threatening. You can die from it. And, and sadly, a lot of type 1 diabetics have. Yet these people on this keto diet are actually doing this and they're promoting it. Um, so... From that perspective, I just don't understand it. Um, I get that it's a, a good fuel and we've got lots of it, but for an athlete who's competing at a higher intensity, 
carbohydrate is is king. You can't you can't beat it from a, a fuel perspective. Yeah. So yeah, it's it's just um, wonderfully well marketed. Um, but if you really sit down and go through the whole um, basis of how the body functions, um, an athlete would well uh, it, they, they can they can give it a try. Um, but um, if they're familiar with how they feel and the power output and all that sort of stuff, they'll notice it drops off pretty quickly in that um, when in that state. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And the thing is that the keto people that I do work with, um, they're actually consuming a lot of carbohydrate. They're eating mm. fruit and vegetables, which is all carbohydrate. Yeah. So to say they're actually on a low a low carb diet is actually not correct because of the amount of um, of the amount of fruit and uh, vegetables that they're eating. So yeah. It's, yeah, uh, I guess it comes back to how active they are as well. They can sort of, I guess, tolerate that amount of carbs compared to a normal person. Mm. Well, that's that's the thing. It, it all really comes down to how much fuel you're expending. And, yeah. Uh, you know, well, well, fat has nine calories per gram. So, you know, from a refueling perspective, you don't need to eat as much to get the same amount of calories. You can eat half the amount of carbohydrate to get the same amount of calories. But um, that rest is fine. But, you know, during, carbohydrate is absolute king. Yeah, definitely. Especially those high intensities that we're doing on the bikes. Mm. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on sort of maybe in the off season, if the intensity is a little bit lower, perhaps cycling carb intake to perhaps encourage more, I guess they call it like a low carb guys would call it like a flexible metabolism that would perhaps in those, I guess, less intense efforts. If you're going out for a long aerobic ride on a push bike or a mountain bike, as an example, when your heart rate is going to be more around your 110, 120, yeah. um, that, that so I guess sort of helps train your body to be more efficient at burning fats in those situations. Yeah, well, it's. It, I think it's not about whether you're training it or not. It's just that at that um, at that intensity, you're just not accessing much as much glycogen anyway. So, yeah. um, you know, that's where you can access your, access your fat stores. But <clears throat> eating more fat doesn't allow you. It doesn't mean you're going to be able to access more fat. Training at that intensity um, just means that you're just not burning as much fuel. So the requirement isn't there either. So I think um, the, the, the most, I, you know, I think if you go back okay, 150 years or 200 years and you're walking along, what's the most easily accessed food that you could, that, that would be there. You're walking along the street. There's no shops. There's nothing. What's, <laughs> what's the most easily accessible food? Oh, without, um, short of killing an animal, I would say probably picking a piece of fruit off a tree. Exactly. 100%. So, and, and the reason that is, is that our body is very, very reliant on glucose. Yeah. Glucose is the single most important fuel for the body. And the and without it, the brain is not going to function properly. So this is where, and if you break it down, you go, okay, well, I'm, you know, it's 200 years ago, the most easily accessible food is fruit. And that's something that I can get everywhere. 
and all I need to do is pick it and eat it. Protein, well, like you say, you're gonna to have to you know, hunt something down to eat it. So you're likely gonna to have to spend a lot more energy accessing mm. that protein and you're probably not gonna need as much because you're not getting as much. Um, fat, <clears throat> your carbohydrates, probably you know, some of your meats, uh, nuts, those sorts of things. So you kind of break it down that way. It, it, it comes down to the fact that the body is relying on glucose. Um, before we had supermarkets on every corner, um, fruit was the most easily accessible food on the planet. Um, for the, the very reason that glucose is our number one fuel. Um, and even if you are doing a ride at 110, 120, you, you're, still, you're still relying on carbs. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, it's just the, the problem nowadays is social media. Everyone's an expert. And, you know, if, if you think that you want to try something different, just think about basic human physiology and how the brain and muscles function. Um, your brain and muscles don't rely exclusively on fat. Um, you're burning some fat, but majority is relying on glucose, which is then stored as glycogen in the liver and the uh, active muscles. Um, and that's our, that's our number one fuel source. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah particularly in those high-intensity efforts, for sure. Yeah. I think it's probably worth mentioning too that we do actually need to have some fats in our diet. Though, oh, right? 100%. Yeah, mate. The low, I'm low fat craze is definitely not, not that. We don't want to go to the other end of the scale either and have no fat or low fat. Yeah. If we want to be taking some of them in, don't we? Oh, mate, absolutely. And, um, you know, in, in the book I wrote, I'm, you know, it, it, uh, most athletes don't get enough fat because they think eating fat makes them fat. But, yeah. you know, you've got some awesome sources of uh, fat from, you know, like I mentioned before, avocados and nuts you know, things like that, where it's good fats. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. No, I'm not saying don't eat them, but um, if you're an athlete and you want proper brain and muscle function, then, you know, carbohydrate is the, is the king. And I want to be clear that there's carbohydrate, um, naturally occurring carbohydrate, and there's your refined crystalline form sugars, which... Yep unfortunately are labeled as carbohydrate and they shouldn't be there should be a distinguish uh, a distinguishing factor between naturally occurring carbs your fruit vegetables you know all those sorts of things rice potatoes um and refined processed crystalline form sugars which are the ones you want to avoid but but they've lumbered them all into the same category so it's hard to distinguish between the carbohydrates and, and everyone goes, oh, well, carbohydrates make you fat. Well, well, actually don't. If no. you eat a diet with a lot of refined processed sugar, you're going to put weight on. Yeah. And this is the thing with, you know, talking with, with, with Chucky and all the other athletes that I work with, it's about cleaning up the diet, but understanding, you know, the good carbs from the shit carbs. Absolutely, so that's, yeah. Yeah, that's the key. Yeah, it comes back to that quality of source. Yeah, exactly. You know, you, you, you look at a food and you go, right, before you put it in your mouth, how many processes has this food gone through? Yeah. Um, that's, that's a good way to look at it.
Yeah. Mm. And yeah, I think you're right. Like looking back ancestrally, you can't really compare that to what we're doing now, especially if you're a motocross athlete or an off-road athlete, like what, what we're doing, what you're putting your body through. You're not just wandering around hunting. You're like super stressful on your body, having your heart rate elevated for that period of time. So yeah, you've got to support that with, with that adequate amount of food and good quality as well. Yeah, exactly. It's, um, it's a super demanding sport. Um, not just physically, but mentally, the amount of information you need to process so quickly is staggering. So, you know, that's why, you know, the, 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 all the top guys and girls are realizing now how fit they are and how fit they have to be. And they're actually, you know, when you look at the amount of work they're doing in their training now, they're, they're elite athletes. Um, and, and you need to be to, to stay, to stay safe on those bikes. There's a lot of power on those bikes. Absolutely. Yeah. It can get dangerous if you're not fit. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. You, you'll notice that, uh, you know, you start getting tired, you're making all those, um, just those skill errors and you think, Oh, you know, I changed down. I should have changed up or I broke too early. I broke too late. And, there's all those little things you, those little mistakes you make that, you know, you, it's it's very different making a mistake playing tennis than it is on a motorbike. Yeah, absolutely, you can go south pretty quick. Yeah, exactly. So, one last little question, we saw it kind of kind of touched on it before, but if we're looking at a perhaps a motocross um, athlete compared to off road, like. Obviously, in those situations where we're competing three, four hours consistently, having the gels is obviously optimal because they're super easy for our body to digest and use as fuel. Yep. But obviously, like anything that's more real food-based is going to be harder to digest, take longer. In the case of a motocross, perhaps, athlete, when they might have, say, three races over the day and they've got an hour or two hours in between those races, what do you sort of recommend there in terms of do you think in some of those cases a bit of real food as well is a good option? Um, or what do you sort of recommend for your guys there? Yeah, so it, it really depends on how <clears throat> how far apart the motos are. Yeah. So if it's only an hour, um, the advice is you take a gel 10 minutes before the race, <clears throat> you take a gel immediately after, and then you would take another one about 10 minutes before the start. Um, and the reason, the reason for that is that, you know, um, there's probably not enough time by the time you finish that race until you start the next one to have anything solid. But if there's a, if there's a two hour gap between motos, then absolutely you can look at taking something, um, whether it's, it could be fruit, it could be, um, you know, a, a sandwich or a roll, you know, maybe some chicken and salad or something like that. Yeah. Um, that your, your body's got time to digest. And the thing is you're spot on with, with solid foods is it, it has a, a greater um, thermic effect. And what thermic effect is, is how much energy is required to metabolize that food and to process it. So with a gel, it has a very, very low thermic effect. So it doesn't require a lot of energy. You're not drawing lots of blood to the stomach. Um, yeah. we, when you're eating a solid food, you're engaging all these different processes that require a lot of energy. Um, so 
if it's only an hour or so, you need to be mindful of that. But if it's if it's two hours, then you've got that that time then to to have some solid food and uh, and get it digested and processed by the time you're uh, out on the on the biking in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I guess again, it, it always essentially a lot of the stuff we've talked about comes down to training, doing it in training, and and like you say, keeping a bit of a record so you uh, so you actually know. Well, this is what I, I did. This worked really well, or perhaps it didn't. So it's constantly evaluating that. And so then when you get to race day, there's no guesswork. Yeah, you, you'll notice that most of the most of the the uh, athletes that perform well consistently have got a lot of that data and they've got a lot of that information already and that stuff that they practice in their training. They go, okay, yeah. I want to mimic race day as close as possible. Yeah. I don't want to. I don't want to make mistakes on race day, so I'm going to make as many as I can in training, mm. and I'm going to find what works for me because, you know, people can use advice, and it might work wonderfully well for one person and not work well for another. So we need to all we we need to all recognise that we have a unique physiological makeup, and we're going to have different um, ways to prepare for a race we're going to have different ways to fuel ourselves and hydrate ourselves and all those sorts of things so that, that's the best way to think is that you're unique and it doesn't really matter what works for someone else it has to work for you yeah 100 percent. that's a big one yeah definitely you can give yeah you can give someone a bit of a framework i suppose but they've got to just try it and and i guess be being better at being in tune with how your body actually feels and performs too. Yeah, that's right. It's um, it's about gathering that data and gathering those numbers, <clears throat> and then working out you know how much do I need. And and that's the thing. Like you can have two athletes that have the exact same deficiency, but one can tolerate that deficiency far better than the other. Mm. So, yes. you know, it's um. There's there's no experts in this field because there's so many different variables. Absolutely, yeah. So my my advice is always, you know, when someone asks me what I need to, do, you know, what do I need to do for my nutrition? I said, well, first of all, we need to find out what your numbers are, and then we need to learn what your stomach can tolerate. Then we need to learn, you know, how much you actually need to to consume for you to feel good for that whole time you're out there. Um, and then we would just work from there. Yeah. Yeah. And really, yeah, awesome. is, really, is it the same answer? No, I definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> it's always a different answer for sure. Yeah. Well, <laughs> like you say, because there is just so many variables, so many. Yeah, and that's right. You know, we could we could go through and do a nutrition hydration strategy for one race, and then a week later, it could be ten degrees cooler or ten degrees warmer. And that yeah. hydration strategy is very different again. Yeah. So that's what a lot of these guys and girls racing need to understand that, that the amount they're drinking needs to change based on the environmental conditions they're experiencing. So, yeah. you know, if you're racing down in the southwest of Victoria where it's freezing cold, where you're not going to be sweating much, you don't need to drink much, but then a fortnight later you're up in Queensland and uh, it's hot and humid, your, your hydration is going to be very, very different. Absolutely, yeah. And, and so too is your bike setup. Your bike setup is going to be different than it is down south there in you know, the mud than it is in the dry. So 
if you use that analogy that, okay, well, you know, I'm changing my bike setup. Mm. What do I need to change from the conditions I experienced at that last race? Yeah. Cause you're, cause the bike and the rider is only as good as, um, you know, how they're, uh, how they're set up. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think exactly what you say to so just having that data in your training and recording some of those things. Like, I guess a lot of people probably don't think of the, actually writing the temperature down what it was when they did their training, right? So then you've got a reference then to go back and say, okay, this weekend it's going to be about 25 degrees. You can go back and look, say, this is what I did on that day and it worked. Yeah, exactly. So I've had a lot of riders say, oh, do you know, I had a lot of stomach issues and I'm going, okay, well, what were you doing? He said, oh, well, I was drinking the same amount as what I did in the last race and it worked good in that last race, but not in this one. I'm like, well, what was the temperature in the last race? Oh, yeah, it was probably mid-20s. And what about the race that you had stomach issues? Yeah, it was probably about, you know, 12, 13 degrees. I'm like, okay, so you were drinking the same amount. I said, well, you're not losing as much. You don't need to drink as much. So they put that in their memory bank and then, you know, they give you an email a few weeks later and go, great, it was a cooler day. I didn't drink as much, didn't get the stomach issues. And, you know, I was really good. So they know that now. They don't need to, they've um, they've lived it. So it's not something that, that needs to be explained to them again. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, there's lots to it. There is, there is, mate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot of awesome information in there. Thank you. Um, I guess one thing I was going to finish up with was just what's in store for the future of shots. Have you got some new products perhaps or anything coming up? I'm um, just working on a new formulation for the bar at the moment. Um, yeah. be gluten-free and... Uh, preservative free and nothing artificial and <clears throat> vegan and all that sort of stuff that's getting more popular. So yeah, yeah, just been working on that. And uh, there's a company that's um, that's uh, contacted us who um, we might be doing a rebrand because um, they're keen to get all of our products into the US, which we can't get into the US under the Shots brand. So. Yeah. So you might see a different brand um, pop up, all the exact same formulations, but just under a different name, which uh, probably all going well will be happening in the next six months or so. Um, yeah, awesome. Brand. Yeah, so it's uh, not an easy process, but I'm just going through all that at the moment. Um, but the good thing is, we'll because we're just a husband and wife gig at the moment, we'll have another four or five people um, involved in the business with this new rebrand. So, um, yeah, there's all this information that I've learned over the last 20 years. I'm passing that on to these other people. Um, so the plan is to have a whole bunch of videos where people can go online and, and, you know, any type of question, we'll try and answer it as best we can through, through video format. Um, you know, with some pretty funky videos and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, awesome. That sounds really cool. Yeah. So, well, um, yeah, that's what that's what I'm doing at the moment, keeping me busy. Yeah, nice. So, what do you, with your energy bars, what do you sort of recommend? Are they kind of like a recovery bar or, a, I guess, another option if you're not operating that higher intensity? Or Yeah, it's, it's actually... So, the, the thing is with energy gels is that some can... Some athletes can take 
three in an hour for 24 hours and not have any issues and that that's what works best for them. Yeah. Other athletes will need some gels and they need to need a solid food option just to, just for whatever reason, you know, there's, mm. there's no, there's no right or wrong. It's just about individual preference. So the bars more just to have as a, um, a different option from an energy source. Um, but also, you know, it just, um, if you find yourself traveling a lot and you're just finding it hard to find, you know, clean food, then these bars will be a good option if you can't find, you know, fruit or those sorts of things. Um, yeah, just to sort of get you through. Yeah. Yeah. They're a good, they're, they're going to be a good, uh, good source of energy without any crap. The, the last formulation that I've got that I had, had a little bit of refined sugar in there to help with the texture. Yeah. It's got gluten and all that sort of stuff. So um, the, the, the important thing is to try and be as gentle on the stomach as possible. Um, yeah. And with this formulation, we've done a lot of testing um, at higher heart rate and it sits really well on the stomach. So um, that's, that's really important for athletes if you, you just don't want to upset the stomach. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, awesome. Oh, it sounds exciting, mate, for the next 12 months ahead. Yeah. Yeah, there's, um, like I said, there's lots to do and lots of boxes to tick, but um, getting through it. World domination, here we come. <laughs> well, I'm actually really excited about the US. <laughs> um, mate, cause, no disrespect, but the uh, the products over there aren't very clean. So Absolutely, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It's... It's good to find a company like yours that actually cares about the ingredients because a lot of them out there don't, that's for sure. <laughs> so you've got to be careful yeah. with, the, with the product you buy. Yeah, that's right. And the, the energy gel in particular, um, there's about 150 different grades of maltodextrin. And, yeah. Uh, you, know, you can buy a really cheap one and spend a lot of money on marketing or you can buy a really expensive one which hasn't gone through as many processes and doesn't have all that added sugar added refined sugar. Yeah. So, um, yeah. That's something that I've been really conscious of, um, you know, having an understanding of, of the stomach um, and how important it is during activity. And if you can, um, if you can get through a race without any stomach issues, um, you know, cause they can, that can really slow you down. So yeah, that's something that we've been really conscious of um, right from the start is having clean ingredients yeah that's awesome like i say it's good to it's good to find someone that actually cares about that stuff yeah well we're not we, we we're certainly not the biggest but the good thing is we've been around for 20 years and that's all just been word of mouth so yeah 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 it'll be interesting to it'll, not interesting be exciting to see you take them on over there that's for sure yeah mate i'm pumped i'm uh really looking forward to it yeah yeah awesome Daryl. well thank you very much for all that awesome information again really appreciate it no worries mate thanks for listening to the ben greenwood high performance podcast For more information on this podcast episode, please check out the show notes and to check out more of my content, shoot over to my website, 
100% strength. That's www.100percentstrength.com. 100% strength to us means giving 100% effort to any challenge we face, whether that's in life, whether that's in the gym, or whether that's out on the track. So you can check out some of our free content online We've got a blog there. We've also got an email list you can subscribe to to stay up to date with events, tips and tricks on a weekly basis. And I'd really appreciate if you'd give us a follow on Facebook or Insta too. Until the next episode, give it 100%. Peace out.